is great. This week, we're going to move ahead in our Church on Fire series. It seems like a weird time to do that, and I'll explain it in just a second. Hold your horses. Because this week, if you look at, at Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, which is what we're going to be looking at, uh, it deals with the ascension of Jesus. Jesus left them right after he gave that, that great command to them, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my uh, witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he, he, he leaves. He's ascended into heaven. And I started thinking uh, about eight days ago or so, last Saturday, I started thinking, there's a link here between the entrance of Christ, which we all celebrate come Wednesday or Thursday, Thursday, Christmas morning, and Jesus' exit, at least physically, he says, lo, I am with you always, if you remember from the end of Matthew, so Holy Spirit is still on the earth, but physically, Christ is not on the earth anymore. His exit in Acts chapter 1. And so I thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool to take a look at those, just the entrance and the exit. And you can't help but when you look at the exit to see another entrance. And we'll see that later on. There's another entrance coming. And how actually they kind of crescendo in volume. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at these, primarily these two things, what the theologians have called the incarnation. By the way, theologians do nothing more than take something very simple and put a big fancy name on it. The incarnation is nothing more than God in human flesh. God, that's it, okay? So impress your friends and say, I know what the incarnation means. The ascension means he ascended, um, you know, went up. You could just say the went option or whatever, but it's, they use these little bit fancier words. But don't let that get in your way. The, the incarnation is when Christ came and was born in a manger in a stable some 2,000 years ago. So that's what we're going to look at this week. The Apostle Paul, I read it, I read it as an intro to worship. He wrote a very curious, very curious phrase. It said, in Galatians 4, he said, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Uh, uh, stop and think about that for a second. The time had fully come. Fully come. There's like a time frame that God was waiting for, and when it was just ripe, when it was perfect, then he came. Now, just think about that for a second. If you were a, a, a faithful Israelite, a faithful Jew, and you were waiting for this time, it would have been a significant period of time. In fact, Israel as a nation was, was put into bondage and they were spread all over the place and their country was taken over. It wasn't until 1948 that Israel became a physical nation again. It was 700, about 725 years before the coming of Christ that this promise was given. We read it a couple of weeks ago, a week after Thanksgiving, in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. This is the promise given to them in the midst of being spread all over the place, in the midst of losing their political kingdom, their country. They lost their country. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is written, and it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, 
Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That was given some 725 years before the birth of Christ. So when you heard that promise, when you first heard that promise, you would have waited and waited. And waited. It, it, it didn't come to you. It, it didn't come to your children. In fact, it would have come to your great, 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 oops, lost a finger there. Great, 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 great grandchildren. Assuming about 25 years old when you had children. Pretty good, huh? You can count them. It should have been 29. <clears throat> Roughly, that would be how long it would have happened before the coming of this king. And you were waiting that whole time. That's a long time. That's the age of this country roughly three and a half times over. Think about that. That is a long time. But when the time had fully come, Paul says. That's the way God loves to work. Just when the situation seems like it's verging on the impossible, he surprises you with the possible. He loves that. And that's what happened on the first Christmas. God did the impossible. The second person of the Trinity, God himself, became a man in a little little stable, little manger, little trough, or wherever they laid him down. Think about that. It, it should boggle your mind. Boggles mine. I've been thinking about it for 20 years. Another amazing piece to this whole thing is the way he did it. Just think about this for a second. If you were God, and I think about this often, if I were God, how life would be, and you can just be gr very glad that Steve is not God, because things would be really different around here if I were. But, it, you know, if you were God and you were going to do something like that, God is, God is a master director of the, of the stage of life, if you want to call it. He knows what he's doing. But he comes on the scene when Jesus is born, really, in a whisper. Think about it. Where's he born? He's not born, like, right there in Caesar's palace. Caesar's Palace, that's really a place, isn't it? But I mean really, Caesar's Palace, really in the, the you know, the, the, the top Roman people right there all hailing him, he's not there. He's in a stable and he's being hunted down. It, it's, it's interesting. He comes with a whisper, um, except for a few fortunate people. One of those people <clears throat> were a group of blue-collar workers who were just going about their business in the middle of the night they're not special people. They weren't they were blue collar. I mean, they were nothing. They were shepherds. They smelled of sheep. They were just watching their flocks there in the middle of the night. They weren't important business people. They weren't important political figures. They weren't even entertainers. They were livestock handlers. If you've been around livestock, drive, try this. Drive through Nebraska sometime. You'll know what that smells like. whole state of Nebraska smells that way. Sorry if you're from there. 
<clears throat> so bad you can kind of taste it when you're driving through. It's just <laughs> livestock. Wisconsin smells that way too, but that's for another reason. <clears throat> anyway, I, I digress. Um, <laughs> they smelled, and, and they were just normal people. And yet God does an amazing thing. These shepherds get to see really the one big boom of the whole thing. It says a bunch of angels appeared, or excuse me, an angel appears to them and he announces the news that Christ will be born. And then it says, you've got to read the passage real slowly and read it like it's true because it is true. In Luke chapter 2 it says, and all of a sudden this great company of the heavenly host appeared. So that's an amazing way of just saying, whoa, look at all the angels. They just, whoa, just filled up the whole skyline and just bright lights and they're, they're saying things about the glory of God and Whoa, I mean, you're just a livestock handler, and you're looking at this. It would have hit them in the middle of the night, the way as if you were an insomniac, and you were listening to the tick, 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 tick of a clock, and all of a sudden, woof, it'd been like a bomb going off. Here's all these angels. Whoa. These simple shepherds overcame their terror, and they wanted to see this Jesus. They weren't anything special. They get to go. The, 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 uh, the Magi come from the east. We don't know a whole lot about the Magi. Most people think that they were pagan astrologers. They weren't followers of God at all. And yet God reveals to them that I'm coming, I'm coming to earth. It's so, it's so much of a big deal that the, somehow these astrologers who look up into the skies, somehow God has written it into the stars where they go, something's going on. Let's these pagans in on a little secret. The time had fully come. It's coming. Even the heavens themselves could not contain themselves. And they, even though they weren't followers of God, they get the message. But other than that, other than to some pagan astrologers and to some people who smelled like sheep dip, nobody else gets a big kaboom. It's really a quiet entrance. It's quiet. He's born in a manger. Eugene Peterson, in his, in his uh, translation of the Bible called The Message, he quotes from John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm gonna want to re- I want to read the first few verses, then I want to tell you how uh, Eugene Peterson translates the 14th verse. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the bidding, beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And then if you skip down to verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson in his book, or his translation of the Bible called The Message says, The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that nice? Moved into the neighborhood. That dwelt, that's what it means, to dwell. He was just one of us. He was relatively common in, in, in his physical appearance. That's, that's, that's radical. It's kind of crazy talk. If you think God was going to become a human, you wouldn't think he'd just kind of become this simple beginnings. And, and, and It's crazy. Why does God stage it that way? Why so quietly? I think God is a master director. 
Obviously, that's an understatement of the week. But God is a, is a master at how he plans this out. Why so quietly? Because he's going to keep crescendoing his, his appearances and his, as he departs and his appearance again. Why the wait? Paul says the time had fully come. Why the long wait? You know, I, I, I confess I have not read the whole Lord of the Rings thing. And if you have, that's great. I, I applaud you. Uh, it was not my genre growing up as a kid, and so I, I tried reading um, uh, that one and another one. It just didn't happen. But the movies, I do movies, <clears throat> and... Uh, I've not heard anyone say, oh, I can't believe there's only three. Or wait, I just said that backwards. I can't believe that, that uh, why couldn't they just do it all in one movie? Everyone that I talk to who's read the books says, oh, man, third one was great, but oh, it should have been six hours long. Now, I just went to the third one, and I went to the bathroom right before it, too, and man, it's three and a half hours. That's, that's about all that, I mean, that's about all I can stand, and it was amazing. Uh, unless they were to have an intermission or something, that's enough for me. But most people who've read the books, who really are in the know, wish that there were each movie was at least six hours long or maybe more. There's so I'd seen heads nobbing. The whole Tom Bomba Tom Bomb Tom Bombadier. What's this? Thank, there you there, see they're identifying themselves now. People are really into this. <laughs> that whole stuff was cut, the whole thing about going back to the Shire and there's all the stuff that just had to end up on the cutting room floor, and everybody was bummed about that. And you don't say, oh, why don't we just see in the very beginning, I'm going to spoil the movie, aren't I? Hmm. Well, why don't we just see in the very beginning where the ring comes and then at the end we see what happens to it. I'm not going to tell you what happens to it, but something happens to it. Why don't we just, you know, that could be three minutes. Nobody says that. They all say, I wish it was longer. Why? Because you love a good story. Because you love something that's going to impact you. God knew what he was doing waiting 725 years for the coming of the Messiah. The time had fully come. Now, that's how he moves into the neighborhood. How did he depart from the neighborhood? There's only three places in the Bible that really talk about his departure, his physical ascension into heaven. One of them is in Mark chapter 16, verses 19 to 20. It says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now, understand, just like I said, he physically leaves, but it just clearly says right there, the Lord worked with them. So he was there, he, was, he just wasn't physically there. He's still here. He's in this room. He's speaking to your heart right now, probably on something totally different than what I'm talking about. He's here, but he's not physically here. Like he was. He departed. Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. It says, uh, when he, that's Jesus, had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This was a really cool thing. This was something, remember how, they, how they, the disciples were all completely afraid and departed 
from Christ and left him alone at his trial, now at this ascension, he, they go right back to the temple. Ground zero. That's not a healthy place for a Christian to be. They go back there, and they go and they praise God. They say, this Jesus is alive. It completely changes their mindset. Now, Luke wrote that, Luke 24, and he also wrote Acts chapter the whole book, but he wrote Acts chapter 1, and it's a little different look. He kind of like, it's like a hyperlink on the internet. You click on it, it gets bigger. He's going to kind of show you a little more what goes on. And this is the passage we're going to spend the rest of our time in this morning. Acts chapter 1, just to kind of give you the, we're going to start in verse 9, but just to kind of give you the uh, context, I'll pick up the first couple of verses. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the, the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I want to just kind of look at three different aspects of what's going on here. First of all, the ascension. First verse there, verse 9. He was taken from their very eyes. He ascended, and up he goes. And it says he went into, or a cloud was there, and a cloud hid him, fit them from their sight. Now, most likely, I can't say for sure, but most likely, this cloud that is talked about here is not just a puffy white cumulus. Could be. It's possible reading this that that could be one of the meanings of this word. But the word most likely is this cloud that was, is all throughout the Bible. There's something about the glory of God and there's a cloud that kind of hinders people from seeing all of the glory of God. It's, it's called the Shekinah. If you read the Old Testament, you hear that phrase, the Shekinah glory. In other words, there's this cloud and it starts in the book of Exodus <clears throat> and you see this often. It's, it's, it's sprinkled throughout the, a lot of the Old Testament. When God appears, sometimes there's this cloud where you, you kind of see everything, but you don't see it all. In Exodus chapter 13, it says, After leaving Succoth, they camped and camped at Ethan at the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Exodus 16, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Exodus 34, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Exodus chapter 40. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. It was too much for Moses to handle. He couldn't go in totally into the cloud and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In the New Testament, Jesus, at a time when he was transfigured, it was a point where he was meeting with uh, the Father in such an intimate way that it says his face, we look different. 
Matthew chapter 17 says, While he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus, when he predicts that he's coming back to earth, he says in Luke chapter 21, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That, that phrase cloud is a loaded phrase in the Bible. Now, I don't want to... It's a high probability that that's what the cloud was. I can't say for sure. It could just be cloud. I don't think so. I think it's saying the disciples saw Jesus go up into the glory of God. And they would have nerves. Even though they were fishermen, they still understood the Old Testament. They'd been around Jesus for three years. He'd been telling them about He was coming back in this cloud. They would have understood this. And they would have looked at that like you and I would have looked at that. People just normally don't just woof up into amazing clouds. Anybody seen that before? You're living in the matrix if you have. Because it just doesn't normally happen. It's a wild deal. This is not, I mean, Jesus could have just went behind a tree and whoop, disappeared. That could have been, you know, or what? He does it. He does this incredible event where he goes. And the disciples, what's their reaction? What the same exactly what yours and mine would be. They're like, whoa, check it out. It says there in verse 10, first part of it, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Now, I think that's one of the most silly verses in the Bible. Of course they're looking intently up into the sky where he's going. This just doesn't normally happen. It's an understatement to say they were looking intently. They just would be, wow, is he coming back down? Or, you know, that was really cool. I mean, you'd seen this Jesus do some amazing things. And you just stand there and stare and look at it. It's, it's the normal thing to do. And then comes two smart aleck angels. I, I think angels, I mean, I, I often wonder what it would be like to be an angel, you know? Hi, I'm an angel from God, you know, touched by an angel kind of thing. The, I have to wonder, but they must have a lot of time to think through these pithy things they're going to say. Because the first thing they say to the guys, is they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Because that was really cool. <laughs> what, what else should we be doing? That's exactly what we should be doing. We should be standing here <laughs> looking at this cool cloud that Jesus just went up into. Men of Galilee, why do you look up into the sky? And then they say, this same Jesus. They always start that. They all start with a little pithy thing, and then they give an awesome truth. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. See what happens there? Even at his ascension, the angels are saying, he's coming back. He's coming back. He, he came with a, kind of a whisper. Yeah, sure, a few big things, but kind of a whisper. He left with a boom. But he's coming back. He's coming back with a bang. He's coming back for everyone to see. 
Not just a few shepherds on the, on the hill. Not just a few disciples who are standing there and happen to see him go up. Woo! Everyone's going to see this, this, this second coming. Everybody's going to see this. He will come back, guys. He's coming back. But he's not coming back now. So you can stop looking in the sky. Because he's not coming back now. He'll come back, guess when? When the time has fully come. He'll come back when the time has fully come. When will the time fully have come? Well, if I could tell you that, I'd be a rich man. I don't know. I don't know. Bible says it's a time when no one expects it. So if you expect it, you know it's not then. Does anybody expect it next Tuesday at 3? Good, it's then. No, I, uh, we don't know when, but it's coming back. It's coming back. I can't wait to get to heaven. And you know, we sing Christmas carols about the whisper. I can't wait till we sing the second coming carols in heaven for eternity. They must just rock. This Christmas, remember, Jesus is coming back. Not in a whisper way, not in kind of a medium way, but in a huge way. Power and might and glory and highly visible. He is coming back. He will come back. He will come back when the time has fully come. And it's our job or our children's job or our grandchildren's job or our great-grandchildren's job to wait, to wait for that. We have been blessed with so much more information than they had when they waited. We understood how a person gets to heaven. They didn't. They just wondered, how does a bull take away my sin? I don't get that. We get that. But there's so much more we're waiting for too that we don't have and we want it. And that's right and we should long for it. We should pray for it. I hope that this Christmas you enjoy Christmas. I hope you enjoy the ascension and I hope you look forward to his coming. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, even though I have jokingly said next Tuesday at three, that'd be awesome. That'd be great. Or anytime. It'd be great to see you again. Lord, we want you to come. We want that coming. That's the thing that we're going to find out that that very word that the angel said that he's coming back is a thing that will motivate the disciples through all kinds of circumstances and persecutions in the rest of the book of Acts is because they knew you're coming back. That you hadn't left them. But you were coming back. You hadn't left them for good, but that you were coming back. And I pray, God, that that would ring in our hearts. We wouldn't just celebrate Christmas like we celebrate George Washington's birthday or something. We'd celebrate Christmas because it started in a series of motion, a chain of events that will lead to your coming again. So God, work in our hearts that way. Let us be expectant of all that you want to do. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season, Jesus, you would reign in our hearts in every possible way, that we would focus our mind's attention upon you, We'd be able to think about you in the midst of all the busyness and even the last minute details and the seeing family. All the things we're going to do. I pray, Jesus, that you would just ring true in our hearts and we would, we would just gaze upon you like the men were gazing up into the sky. 
Do that work. Have that be our Christmas present, we pray in Christ's name.